listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. Well, good morning, church. It is a privilege to get to stand before you this morning and to bring God's word to you from 2 Peter chapter 3 as we continue uh, in that book, I do, uh, just by way of update, um, thank you for your continued prayers for the Brown family, Carolyn and uh, Paul Brown, uh, Chris's parents, who, who both have been uh, dealing with the coronavirus, and Carolyn has, uh, of course, been in the hospital, and she is, they are both continuing to improve, and we're looking forward to them, uh, to her coming home, and uh, Paul as well, uh, Chris and Dory as they have, uh, as, uh, have the coronavirus as well. So the whole family, we continue to pray for them. Uh, Chris and Dory have said that they have, uh, are continuing to recover and have energy uh, for the first time, but they are, are missing everyone very much as they are in quarantine. So uh, we covet your, your prayers for them um, this morning. Apparently this won't stand up, stay up with the weight that I have on it. So, sorry, that's distracting. Um, okay, so this morning we're going to be continuing from the book of Second Peter in chapter 3 as we're coming to the end of Second Peter. Um, we will be looking at the coming day of the Lord and how that, the practical application of the coming day of the Lord on our lives as believers, those who have faith in Christ Jesus. And so uh, this morning, first, if you would, let's read from Second Peter chapter 3. If you can, would you stand with me as we hear the word of the Lord will be focusing this morning on verses 11 through 13, but I'm going to uh, begin again uh, in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord from 2 Peter 3. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for, for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we, we praise your name. 
We, Father, we are humbled as we read of your might and your power. You, you are righteous and holy, and Father, we, we are not. We know that apart from Christ's work, we, we stand opposed to you. Father, we, we praise you and we thank you for the work that you are doing in our hearts and in our lives, for the, the righteousness you've given us in Christ. Father, thank you that you, in your great patience and love, you have delayed judgment that all of your children might be gathered in and come to repentance and faith. Father, would you help us to hear your word? Would you, would you send your spirit uh, as, your, as I proclaim your word? Father, would we hear? Help us to be faithful. Help us to obey. Father, we praise you. We pray that you would be at work in our hearts and in our lives and that we would uh, leave here seeing your great love for us and wanting to live lives that are pleasing to you. We pray in Christ Jesus' name, amen. So here we have in, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, as we come to the end, we've had uh, this short book, and in the first chapter, Peter has basically come and said, make your calling and election sure. Here are, here's what you have, faith in Christ. This is the same faith that the apostles had, and this is the faith that you have. And so you're, you're to, to make your calling and election sure. And then he goes in chapter 2, and he talks about false teachers and what false teachers look like, and that false teachers are a reality. And then in chapter 3, this portion that we read today, he's speaking about the scoffers and those who say that everything will continue as it always has been, there is no second coming. There is no day of the Lord. And he says, and this is where we'll be focusing today in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And so um, this is the point that, that, uh, that, that Peter is um, first making. That, that the day of the Lord will come. Um, there's not, I'm not going to have any like breathtaking um, things that you're like, wow, I didn't see that from this text. This, is, this text is straightforward. And it says very simply from Second Peter, he says, there are going to be people that scoff. There are going to be people that say, God isn't faithful. That's not happening. Um, there's nothing to show that, that the day of the Lord is coming. He says, the day of the Lord is coming. Because of that, because we know, we've seen God's faithfulness in the past, we see his promises in his word, he will come again. Because of that, we're going to live different lives as believers here in this present day. And so that's the main point of the text. That's what I want us to hear this morning more than anything else. The certain promised future day of the Lord is central to how we live as Christians. The certain promised future day of the Lord is central to how you and I live as Christians. So you and I all, sorry, I'm going to have to take this. I have my, put that there. Sorry. Okay. So we all live in this period of the already and the not yet, right? That's, that is where we are in Christian history. We have these promises of God. We have seen them fulfilled in the past. All of us uh, all believers, we have seen 
Christ's coming, the fulfillment of the prophecy of Christ's coming, Christ's death on the cross. These are things that we look back in time and we see God's faithful, uh, faithful keeping of his promises, these prophecies fulfilled. And so that's the already. And yet we also live in this period of not yet, this period of these future prophecies. And there's much been made of these future prophecies. And here we have one that's very clear in verse 10 that the, the day of the Lord is coming. And so uh, the whole history of the nation of Israel, the history of the church, the history of the whole world through all the ages is God's faithful work preserving and saving his people even while others are standing outside and scoffing and laughing and saying that'll never work. Whether it's the wall of Jericho, whether it's Christ on the cross crucified, the prince of glory, the king of kings, the creator of all the earth, crucified as a servant king for the sins of his people. The world says, that doesn't work. The world scoffs, the world laughs and says, this plan of redemption is ridiculous. This plan of redemption makes no worldly sense at all. But we're called to remember what God said in his word. We're called to remember that the God who created the world by his word, the God who by his word deluged it in judgment with the flood, is now by his word actively sustaining this earth for this future day, this coming of the Lord. And so it is certain. That's the first That's the first of our three main points today. The day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming and the day of the Lord is certain. In verse 10, we see that the day of the Lord will come. And he says repeatedly, the day of the Lord will come. The heavens will pass away. All the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This is a fixed certainty. This isn't a maybe. This isn't a uh, we don't know as Christians how the world's going to end. There's lots of speculation about, you know, you'll, you'll hear, uh, even among the church, there's so many eschatological views, and, and I've probably held the majority of them at some point or another. And I'm not going to talk a lot about like this one versus this one versus that one, and amillennial and postmillennial and premillennial, and, and as uh, we would say, we're kind of panmillennialists. I believe it will all pan out in the end. And, and, and to a great degree, we can get caught up in all these eschatologies, but Peter doesn't do that here. Peter is here speaking to the church and he has a very clear message and one that's undeniable and one that we can say all Christian views of the end times hold these things. So let me give you these four things that we can say with certainty all biblical views of the end times share. The first I've already said, the day of the Lord is certain and future. So all all views of the end times, all biblical views of the end times would say, that Christ is coming again in the second coming, and that's a future event. And we long for and we look forward to that. And later, after, after uh, as part of the service, as part of Christ's gathered church, we're going to partake together of the elements, proclaiming Christ's death until he comes again and remembering him, even as we as a church look for and long for the second coming of Christ. And so, um, so all biblical end times views understand that the day of the Lord is coming and that it's a future event. This is the great, one of the great hopes of the Christian, and we see it all through the New Testament, um, that we look for and long for Christ's return and his establishing this holy city, this new kingdom, uh, and his reign over all things, making all things new, putting, uh, as he has already dealt with and defeated sin, but putting, uh, utterly destroying sin in every part and reigning uh, here as he does in heaven. So, 
That's the first thing. Secondly, the second thing that we know with certainty from verse 10 in 2 Peter 3 is that we don't know when the day of the Lord will come. Um, He says that it will come as a thief. Jesus in Matthew 24, of course, said this himself, that, that, uh, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. The day of the Lord is a surprise. We don't know, there's, we know that there is a fixed and certain day, but we don't know. It is not revealed to us what that day is. And so, um, and, and so the day of the Lord will come like a thief. I will say it won't come, nothing, nowhere does it say it will come like a ninja. This isn't a secret coming of the Lord. It will be announced. It will be clear. It will be visible. The world will know. The heavens will be dissolved. All of the earth will be judged. It is not a secret coming of the Lord, but it is an unannounced coming. It is as a thief. And so the second, uh, so we know the day of the Lord will come as a thief. Thirdly, we know that the day of the Lord will bring an end to this world and this age. Um, as we saw last week in verse 7, uh, it's the lie of the scoffer who overlooks the fact that the heavens and the earth that now exist are being stored up for judgment. Things will not continue as they always have been. This world will come to an end. There is a future judgment. And if you hear nothing else from me this morning, I want you uh, to hear that believer know and unbeliever hear that there is a future judgment coming and only those who are found in Christ will be, will be able to stand on that day. If you are in Christ, you are made righteous and able to stand. If you are not in Christ, uh, you are, will be utterly undone by the judgment of an angry God who is holy and righteous and wrathful against your sin and your rebellion towards him. And so uh, the day of the Lord will come. It will bring an end to this world and to this age. Revelation 21 tells us that the apostle John saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So we are all looking forward to, and we'll look at that a little, little more at the end. We, we're looking forward to this new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. And then fourth, and I've kind of already touched on this, but the fourth thing that we know about the day of the Lord is that it's a day of great judgment. The picture here in verse 10 is that of the heavens being set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies being burned up and dissolved. And it says that uh, being burned up and dissolved, they expose the world and all the works on it to the judgment seat of a holy God. So in, in a sense, this picture is that the earth, the heavens are above the earth and, and separating us in some sense from the heavens and the judgment of God. And that on this day when the Lord comes, that all of that will be dissolved and we will find ourselves in the presence of a holy and angry God at his judgment seat. And all of the works that are being done on the earth will be exposed. There will be no place to hide. There'll be no place to go. There will be no place to cover our sin except in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. It will be an awful day for those outside of Christ. It will be an awful day of judgment. So that's the, pure, that's the clear picture of the day of the Lord. That's a little bit of a recap as uh, we looking back at last week. But now this week, um, beginning particularly in uh, verse 11, I want us to look at this. Um, Peter says in verse 11, that 
since all these things are thus to be dissolved, since we know, he's just gone through, since we've established that the day of the Lord is coming, since we've established that that coming will, will come in great uh, judgment and that all things will be dissolved, everything that we know here will be obliterated and destroyed and burned up. What sort of people ought we to be? And that's the second point, second major point. The day of the Lord is central to how we live as Christians. We see that in verses 11 and 12. What sort of people ought you to be? And if you look, and this kind of threw me for quite a while, it's not really a question. It's more of an exclamation. It's more, rather than saying, and, and, and it is a question, what sort of people ought you to be? But he really is saying, if, uh, if you know this to be true, if you know that all things here are going to be dissolved, can you imagine the sort of people that you'll be? Can you, knowing that, that the earth will be dissolved, imagine the, 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 the holy and godly lives that you'll live as you, as you look for and long for and hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. And so um, it's, a, it's a statement of, of clarity, seeing that the day of the Lord is this future event and and uh, it's a statement that would say, Christian, align your life as one who knows that the day of the Lord is coming. Live your life as one who understands that all things here will be dissolved, that all things here will be burned up, that this earth is corrupted by sin and that there is coming a day of judgment when, when that sin will be dealt with entirely by God. And so um, that's, the way we're to, that's the way we're to run. We're, to, we're not to be... We're to be a people and a church that are free from the rat race of life that so easily entangles us and makes everything in this world seem so big and everything of eternity seem so small. Isn't that, isn't that really in so many ways the struggle day to day is that, is that the things that we deal with, whether it's um, a bill or the schedule, or taking someone somewhere, running errands, or getting things done in this world, and things that are necessary to life, and caring for our children, and caring for our homes, and earning a living, and, and, and they're all necessary and good things, but they're so close in our face, and eternity can seem to be forgotten, that, that, that there, is, there is a coming day, that there is a new kingdom, and a new heaven, and a new earth that's coming, that is our future hope where Christ will, de- will dwell, where God will make his dwelling with men. All of that seems like a distant, faraway reality, something we read about, but, but, but it's not right in our face every moment of the day, right? And so as believers, as we remember, as we look back at God's word, we're called, we're called to, um, to remember God's promises. We're called to live our lives in the reality that everything here is temporary, that everything in this, in this life uh, that's corrupted and impacted by sin uh, will be done away with. And so we look forward to and we long for uh, this day of the Lord. Um, we are to be heavenly minded if we're to be of any, any earthly good. You cannot, be, you cannot be too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good as the saying goes. Um, we must be heavenly minded. The mind of Christ, having our mind fixed in eternity, gives us the perspective and the ability to love our neighbors, to love our brothers and sisters as 
we should, to love God as we should, to put in proper perspective and understand how we're to love one another and go about our days, what kind of employer we're to be, what kind of employee we're to be, what kind of parent we're to be, what kind of, um, what kind of friend we're to be to one another. All of those things uh, are, are given clarity in light of eternity. So the first thing that I'd like us to see in, uh, in, uh, under, this, under this second point, how are we to live as Christians? What sort of people should we be? And the first thing is this, is that we're to live lives of expectant waiting. We're to live lives of expectant waiting. So um, as believers, uh, our waiting should be for, we see that in both verses 12 and 13, we're waiting for the future coming of Christ. And then Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Our waiting is to be not like sit back and wait, but is an active, eager anticipation of the coming of Jesus who has already dealt with our sins on the cross and we're longing for his return in glory. And so we're to be watching with great eagerness. This is not this is not like waiting like, um, you know, outside the principal's office waiting. This is not waiting like, I remember growing up when mom would say, go to your room and I will be there in a minute. Or dad would say that. And then it would be like eternity sitting on the bed, thinking about everything you've done wrong <laughs> in your whole life. Um, it's not that sort of waiting. That is not the kind of waiting we have for the coming day of the Lord. As believers in Christ, we are waiting with eager anticipation because the Bible says that on the cross, Christ has already dealt with our sins. He's not returning to deal with our sin. He's returning in glory to establish his kingdom and to see his rule and reign over all things uh, in this earth. It will be, for the believer, a wonderful day. All the punishment due our sin was poured out at the cross. There's nothing left for us in that. So we're eagerly waiting. Secondly, while we're waiting, we're to be working. We're to be working. This is not, this is a, a wait that has work involved. Uh, James 5, chapter 7, uh, James 5, verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So you and I, the farmer, the farmer isn't lazy. He's waiting. There's time involved. He can't rush the harvest. We've been learning this. We have a little garden and uh, we keep picking watermelons just a little too early. So you have to wait. It has to be ready. You can't rush it. It doesn't matter what. And once you've picked it, you're like, you're done. You just kind of throw it out and say, okay, I hope hope we get it right on the next one. So um, this is the farmer is patient, but he's not lazy. There's work to be done. He doesn't neglect the harvest. And you and I were to be like the farmers. We know that there's a great harvest in this world of souls. And, and we know that God is holding back the day of the Lord, that day of judgment, until all his people are brought in from that harvest. And so you and I are to be workers in the harvest. We're to be prayerful. We're to be evangelizing. We're to be speaking the gospel. We're to be living the gospel. We're to be praying for the lost. We're to be encouraging one another as saints. We're to be doing the work of, of, um, 
of the believer, even as we wait patiently for the second coming of the Lord. And then uh, lastly, we're to be so eager that we would hasten the day of the Lord even as we wait. So what does it mean when Peter says that we can hasten the coming of the day of God? I don't know. Um, R.C. Sproul said he didn't know, and so I said, I'm going to say, I don't know. Uh, Because if R.C. Sproul doesn't know, then I'm certainly not going to say. Here's what what I do, here's what we do know. We know that a day is coming, and we know that that day is determined not by man, but by God. We know that that, that, that's, that God is sovereignly in control of all things. But we also know that Peter here says that, that there is some element where we can hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. And so we take that and say, and I, I do think it has something here to do with, with what he's just said in verse 9, that, that the day of the Lord is being held back, waiting for all of those to repent and be brought in. So we go about the work of the kingdom, and in that sense, we hasten the day of the Lord. But I do know this, we're to be so eager and working to hasten the day of the Lord even as we wait. The whole attitude of the Christian, the whole attitude of the Christian life is to be one of wakeful readiness and eager anticipation. We're looking forward to the coming day of the Lord with this hopeful eagerness, with this eager anticipation, wakeful readiness. The picture that I have in my mind is of Christmas morning, which is maybe a bad analogy, but it's the, I can't think of anything. As a small child, I remember we had a big family and we, we, we had two huge bedrooms upstairs. The boys were on one side, the girls were on the other side. And on Christmas morning, you, we were not allowed to come down, into, down the stairs to the living room until mom and dad called us. That was like, that was a big rule. You couldn't do that. So, but you could get ready. You get ready anytime you wanted and then you had to wait, and we all had to come down together. So there was no running ahead, no like, you know, forget my little brother, little sister, I'm going for my stuff. We, we all went together. And so on Christmas morning, you're, of course, all eagerly anticipating uh, all the good gifts that you know mom and dad have stored up for you downstairs. And, and so we would get up, and usually it was super early, four or five in the morning, way before mom and dad wanted us to be up we would kind of walk around with heavy footsteps. You know, you want to make sure mom and dad were starting to, to hear a little of the movement upstairs. And then we would, we would need to help one another get ready, get everybody ready, make sure the little kids are up, make sure everybody's got their pajamas on and everybody's ready to go. Okay, now, now let's all go and gather. And we'd sit on the top of the steps and we would wait. We'd wait for mom and dad to show up and say, come down, come down to the living room. And, and, we, and the, the, all the opening and the giving and the, the Christmas festivities would begin. And, and, and that, I know, is, is such a tiny, nothing picture. But in, in my mind, that anticipation as a young child sitting on the top steps waiting for mom and dad is something to do with the eager anticipation that we should have as believers for the second coming of the Lord. Secondly, and really in light of that expectation, in light of how um, of that expectation of Christ's coming, he says that we're to live lives of holiness and godliness. We're to live lives of holiness and godliness. Living um, holy and godly lives in light of the coming of Jesus isn't optional, and it's for all believers. It's not an optional thing that we can say, well, um, I, I put my faith in Christ, but my life doesn't reflect that. 
uh, in any way. Um, this isn't something that we can take or leave depending on, on whether we like it. Um, we can remember this, the second letter of Peter. If you go back to the first letter of Peter, chapter 1, verse 13, Peter has already written, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that, we, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." The knowledge of the coming of Christ should supplement our faith and bear fruit of godliness and holiness in our lives. Should bear the fruit of godliness and holiness in our lives. Um, and this is, as I said, it's a call to all, to all believers. Who is it that Peter's writing to here? We know um, that who he's speaking to goes all the way back to chapter 1 of Second Peter. He says that he's writing to those who have faith by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, those who have been granted all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus, and those who are the partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So he's writing to believers, and he's saying, all believers, you're to live lives of godliness and holiness in eager anticipation of the second coming of Christ. We were made right by faith with no work of our own, but having been reconciled to God, having the spirit living in us that is worked out in our lives by diligent work by us towards godliness and holiness. Living holy and godly lives should have a practical daily impact on our minds and actions. 1 John 2 verses 15 to 17 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away. Again, in light of, in light of this coming day of the Lord, we are to live different lives. We're to live lives um, doing the will of God. And, and it has this practical daily impact. That's, that is set your mind. And this is why we uh, talk about the, the disciplines of grace, right? The gathering of God's people to hear God's word, to encourage one another in these things. The, the reading of God's word to apply the truths of the promises of God's word to your life. Prayer, communing with God through prayer, through his word, by his spirit, to strengthen our faith so that we might live holy and godly lives. This isn't this uh, Keswick teaching theology of uh, like higher life theology that, that you can let go and let God, that there's, there's multiple levels of, you know, and, and, and we can just let God, we just do nothing and trust that God's going to, to, to change us. There is a difference between justification and sanctification. And the one work, in justification, there's no work at all. There's faith in Christ and in his finished and completed work for us. But in sanctification, having been made right with God, we, we then do work diligently, prayerfully, with our Bibles open and by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might live uh, godly and holy lives. So we want to parent in the light of the coming of the day of the Lord. We want to uh, work in the light of 
of the coming day of the Lord. We want to spend our time and spend our money thinking, how does this, how should I, how should I change, how should my life reflect the reality of the coming day of the Lord? How should my life reflect that I'm not made for this earth and this earth isn't my last hope, but I'm made for a future kingdom and for this future city that is promised and that is certain that it's coming. And so um, with that, we, our lives should be different. They should be uh, radically different from the world around us. Uh, we, shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't live with the, the worries of this world in the same, in the same way. Um, and yet our lives can be very, very ordinary. It's not, we're to be faithful um, we're to be faithful in the, the small things. We're to be faithful in the everyday things. This isn't, uh, this isn't a call necessarily to sell all you have and go to the foreign mission field, although that may be your call. And maybe you need to look at that. Uh, maybe there's something that's an idol in your heart or in your life that you need to deal with as the rich young ruler. And Jesus told him, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Is it because prescriptively all of us are to sell all we have and give to the poor? No, it's because that was the rich young ruler's idol and he needed to deal with it. He needed to put it to death and he couldn't deal with it a little bit and he couldn't deal with it just by kind of ignoring it. He had to slay it by selling all he had and giving to the poor and he couldn't do that because the idol of his heart, the thing he cared about more than Christ, more than the pearl of great price was his, his earthly riches. And so... You and I, we need to examine our hearts. Are there things in our hearts? And it, and it could be good things, good things that we have created an idol of. Things that we, it could be a job. You ought to be good at your job and your job should not be your idol. You want to have uh, successful children and yet children should not be your idol. What is it that we dream for our children? Is it that they're successful or that they're godly and holy and living lives reconciled to God? and longing for the second coming of the Lord. So um, we're to evaluate our lives by light of the coming, the second coming of Jesus. And in that, we're to be a prayerful, um, a prayerful people, a people that are speaking the gospel to those around us and evangelizing the lost, to people that are caring for one another in the church, people that are looking uh, to care for the poor and the oppressed, Throughout the world, those are those are outworkings of of our holy and godly lives that we should be living in light of the coming, the second coming of the Lord. Lastly, thirdly, and briefly, the day of the Lord uh, ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation twenty one one through five says, "Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem." coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And we see here, 2 Peter chapter 3 gives us just that, the, the very first glimpse in this perfect description of 
this new heaven and earth when he says that righteousness dwells there. God dwells among his people there. Brothers and sisters, righteousness doesn't dwell here. This world is broken. This world we see uh, increasingly and every day it seems the how sin has destroyed and marred and ruined this world. But there is a day coming. There is a day coming when there will be a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where all things are made right, where all things, where, where all things are perfect, where all things are just, where there is no sin, where there, is no, where there are no tears, where there's no pain anymore, because all of those former things have passed away. What a great hope. What a great to, to be reminded that this life is not our great hope, but we have this hope of future glory in Christ Jesus. Are you living your life with wakeful readiness? Are you looking for the coming of Christ? Are you diligently pursuing godliness and holiness? Do you find that you love this world or the Father? What idols in your heart today do you need to deal with? What things have, have crowded your vision and, and made the things of heaven and of Christ seem dim and this world seem of the most importance? Would you deal with that today? Would you prayer, pray, prayerfully consider how, what you might need to repent of and how you might fix your eyes on Christ himself. If you're not a believer, I plead with you to come to Christ. There is a day of judgment coming, and we don't know when. But it is certain, and it is great, and the wrath of God will be poured out on your sins. There is, in that day, and we see these descriptions of fire uh, that, that Peter has used all through this chapter, um, and there is... As in thinking about this um, analogy, you might think of um, a great forest fire, right? And one of the ways that, that sometimes when, when, fire, when, when uh, firemen are fighting a forest fire, they will use a burned place to burn all of the material, all the combustible material, so that the fire can no longer burn there. And that's how they would stop it, right? And the safe place to be in that fire is that spot where the, where the fire has already been and has already consumed all that there is to consume. And on the last day, on that great day of judgment, the only safe place for us to stand is in Christ because he's the one who already bore the wrath of God. It was poured out on him and all of our sins were paid for. He was a propitiation for us. He absorbed and took the wrath of God that was due you and I and exhausted the judgment of God for our sins. And so we stand there where the fires and the flames can't touch us because we stand in the righteousness of Christ, of Christ alone. That's our only hope. It's our only hope today. It's our only hope for you, unbeliever. It's our only hope for you, believer. Would you rejoice in that and look for and long for the day of Christ's second coming. Let's pray. Father, we, we praise you. We thank you. 
we eagerly long for and hope for that day when you will come again. Father, we, um, we pray that you would be glorified. Uh, we pray that you would be at work in the world for the salvation of your people, to the glory of your name, and that we would, and that we would see that great day when you uh, come in glory and establish uh, the new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. Father, would you, by your spirit, uh, grant us a grace to live in light of eternity. Father, would you keep us from being blinded by our sin? Father, would you keep us from seeing anything in this world as being more valuable than Christ Jesus? Father, would you, uh, by your spirit, help us to put sin to death, to identify it in our lives, and to repent of it, that we might live holy and godly lives before you. Father, we, we thank you for the mercy and love you've shown us in Christ. We pray that you would uh, remind us of that uh, now and that you would continue to bring these things to mind by your spirit as we look forward, forward to the day of your coming. Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.